Hello, and welcome back to the Sidekick Critic Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Andrew Crosby, and I am delighted to be here with you for another edition of this film and entertainment industry podcast. I have three movies I want to talk about today. Uh, I'm excited to talk about a couple of them. One of them is pretty mid-tier in terms of my excitement level. Um, I also want to talk about some of the upcoming movies, and uh, we're going to do a little bit heavier on diving into the box office with some of these films today. Um, because I think there's some interesting things going on there that I kind of want to discuss with you. So the first movie I'm going to talk about is Fast X. Without further ado, let's dive into my one-minute review for Fast X. This movie is exactly what you expect it to be. Um, No more, no less. It's never going to be the greatest action movie you ever watched. It's never going to be the most serious film you watched. Uh, It's... Not going to give you more than you're asking for, but it's going to provide exactly what you are asking for. And that's about the best I can say for it. Um, I did enjoy it. I am happy I personally saw it in theaters. Uh, at this point, it's been over 20 years. I'm too invested in the Fast Saga. I have to see where it goes, no matter how ridiculous it is. But I think it's clear the Fast Saga is trending downwards and approaching its end. Overall, I'm probably going to give this movie a 6.4 out of 10. It's pretty mid-tier in terms of what I've seen this year and how I'd rank all of them. So that 6.4 feels accurate. If you've seen the Fast movies, if you've liked them, I would go watch this in theaters. So when I talked about this in my previous episode, I believe, the uh, dealing with expectations going into movies, uh, I think it's... Very important to meet your expectations and have them be realistic when you go see a movie in theaters so that you're not disappointed. Like I said in my one-minute review, from this movie, I got exactly what I expected out of it. Uh, There were character returns. There were death fake-outs. There was a massive uh, overindulgence of what family means to each of these people. And, of course, nowadays it's not a fast movie without a complete and utter ignorance of all laws of physics um and all of those things are what i expect going into the movie i expect to see some absolutely ridiculous ridiculous action sequences that no one could possibly possibly survive but these characters continue to survive it time after time and that's okay because that's what i want to see when i go watch these movies in theaters Sometimes it's nice to just see some big action sequences, some ridiculous explosions, some crazy CGI car driving on the big screen, and to hear that sound envelop you. I know it's going to be ridiculous going into it, so I'm able to sit back and enjoy it. I can shut my brain off for, what was it, just over two hours and say, this movie was stupid, but it was the good kind of stupid. I laughed at how ridiculous it was at some points. I didn't tear up in any way for a movie like this because nothing is real anymore. Um, I think the Fast and Furious saga peaked with Fast Five, personally. Um, That's what I consider to be the last genuinely good one. Um, Six was decent. Uh, Seven, eight, nine have all been downhill. I don't think Fast X is the worst. I think F9 was the worst from what I remember having watched these. I actually rewatched F9 shortly before Fast X, but I do believe the ninth was the worst so far. Um, The best I can say for this movie is Jason Momoa. Um, 
he has finally given the Fast franchise the iconic villain it was lacking. He was incredible in this movie. He was all over the place. Um, truly just played an insane character. And you could see in his mannerisms and the way he acted this out, it looked like he was having so much fun with this movie. And sometimes that's what you need from a villain. You need someone that looks like they're having a good time and enjoying playing the role. And he was the highlight. Um, I'm really trying hard not to spoil anything for this movie as... Like I mentioned, it's the Fast franchise, character deaths, character returns, fake outs, whatever you want to call it. Um, I feel confident saying it's not a spoiler, though, that I believe Vin Diesel came out and said the end of the Fast saga, the mainline franchise, is going to be three movies. So Fast X is essentially Fast X Part 1. And they really end this movie on a full-on cliffhanger. They don't finish it up with another family cookout at the Toretto house. Uh, There's no real happy ending. It's the movie ends and you're left wondering what's next. One thing I think is for sure is next is you're going to see Jason Momoa return. He was great. He was the highlight of this movie. Probably the highlight of the last three movies is the introduction of Momoa's character, forcing him into the story and the timeline a little bit, but what can you do with that? I really enjoyed him. Um, I I think his presence may actually boost the next one a little bit. Um, but when I talk about boosting it, we're going to look at the box office a little bit. Fast X has kind of been a disappointment so far with its returns. It's uh, domestic opening. It's opening weekend. It did $67 million here in the U.S., uh, internationally, it did $205 million, and I believe we're a week and a half to two weeks in now at the time of this recording. It's up to $512 million. So a couple things to notice there. First is the Fast franchise has always been huge overseas. Um, traditionally, it's earns massive returns in China, one of their biggest films of the year usually. Uh, it does very well down in Brazil, uh, in South America, Latin America. Uh, just a great film overseas and typically relies on that. And when you look at their previous two releases, uh, 2018 was The Fate of the Furious, the eighth installment. That opened at $98 million in the U.S., $417 million overseas to the tune of $1.2 billion. Massive success. Uh, there's no ways about it. I mean, any movie over, earning over a billion dollars is always going to be a huge success. The Fate of the Furious was that without a doubt. That was pre-COVID, though. That was 2017. F9 was delayed because of COVID. It Not only was its release pushed, production was pushed. Uh, much lower opening. 70 million, 70 million domestically, 234 million overseas to 726 million total. It's Some people may look at, if you in a vacuum, if you look at the Fast X returns, you may say, oh... This is just how we have to, once again, level our expectations in a post-COVID film industry. Movies aren't making as much. You're not getting multiple billion-dollar pictures every year. I think that's almost inherently wrong, though, because you have something like F9, which came out in 2021. I don't think Fast X is going to catch it. Uh, It would need to have some really, really good legs and great word of mouth to be able to reach that $726 worldwide gross. I just don't think it will. I believe on Memorial Day and Monday, 
Guardians actually out-earned Fast X. For a movie that came out, Guardians came out at the beginning of May. Fast X came out mid-May. We're now at the end of the month, and it's already dropped, I believe it was third place this past weekend. Guardians moved back up into second, or it was Guardians moved into third, Fast fell to fourth already. It's just, there's a real downward trend trend in the box office returns for those three Fast films. Seems like money-wise it may have peaked at Fast 8. I, I don't see how this movie's going to catch that 726 from F9. Um, it's been performing very poorly overseas, and it just doesn't have strong word of mouth outside of the performance of Jason Momoa. Most people are saying you can watch this at home. You're not really missing out on it that much. I disagree. I think if you've watched the other Fast and Furious movies, I think this is a great movie to go see in theaters. It's fun at a minimum, but... Once again, it all comes back to that tempering expectations. Um, these, This is not The Fast and the Furious. It's not Tokyo Drift. It's not Too Fast, Too Furious. These are not car and racing movies anymore. They're action movies where the main characters happen to drive a nice car now and then. But the lifeline of these movies has changed. It's now a Vin Diesel action star rather than Vin Diesel fugitive race car driver race car driver, whatever you want to call it. Um, so once again, temper your expectations of going to this movie. But if you've watched the previous nine movies, I think you're kidding yourself if you say you don't want to go see Fast X. I still enjoyed my time in the theater despite it not being a fantastic movie. Like I said, 6.4 out of 10. We'll see how it does at the box office. I, I heard this movie had a $300 million budget. If you're looking at that two and a half times... Uh, budget to earn back a true profit um, that's after all the non-budget expenditures after all the promotional material marketing and this movie is marketed to shit um, that two and a half x on 300 million dollars you'd be looking at 750 it's that would have to surpass what f9 did and then some I, I just don't see Fast X getting there I think this movie especially this upcoming weekend I think it's going to drop off a cliff I think it'll be Maybe the fifth highest earner this weekend, which three weeks out, not looking good for a big franchise film like this. So, kind of a shame. Um, and that's about all I have to say for Fast X, really. Once again, if you've seen the previous nine, why aren't you going to see the 10th in theaters? I mean, come on. Uh, okay, so we're going to move on to my next movie for today's episode. That's going to be Blackberry. Uh as always, I'll give a one-minute review. It's going to be a majority of my review for this uh, one-minute review for BlackBerry. While I enjoyed it, this movie just didn't have the same it factor that most of those historical dramatizations do for me. Um, that's not to say Jay Burchell, who you may know from Knocked Up or This Is The End, Glenn Howerton from It's Always Sunny, the two of them put in amazing performances, I think, this may signal change in their career of getting some more serious drama roles. Glenn Howerton especially was incredible. But something about it, it just... I don't know. As I talked about during my air review, movies like that, these historical dramatizations of typically businesses, are comfort movies for me. I really enjoy watching them. I don't think Blackberry's going to have that same staying factor. Only a 6.2 out of 10. 
this movie is nothing much to talk about at the box office. It's done 1.3 million in a few weeks. Uh, this felt like a movie that probably should have gone straight to streaming, but I think the real issue with that currently is that leaves movies out of the zeitgeist. No one talks about it. It doesn't do well for the actors in terms of their career long-term when a movie goes straight to streaming because your layman isn't seeing it. It's not adding to the celebrity's fame and fortune. It's just something that's there that might be watched at some point. I would honestly recommend most people just watch this at home. I think it's a great... Wednesday night, you're bored, you don't have a show you want to watch particularly, throw in Blackberry, learn about the history of this once Goliath company that had a chokehold on the cell phone industry. I actually did learn quite a bit from it. I All I remembered from Blackberry was my dad having one for years, and then suddenly Blackberry vanished with the advent of the iPhone. And the movie touches on that. Uh, it's an interesting to see it from that dramatized lens behind the scenes kind of. I think it's worth watching, but I don't think it's worth paying for a movie ticket for. Once again, a benefit of having a list, I don't have to make that decision. I heard about it. I saw Jay Burchell, Glenn Howerton. I was like, why not give it a shot? I typically love these movies. Not as good as Air. Really not as good as most of the other movies I kind of put into this category, but I still liked it. Just didn't have that it factor, which sometimes movies just lack that it factor, and there's really nothing you can do about it. Okay, I have a lot to say about this next movie. Uh, as always, there's no better way to start than my one-minute review for The Little Mermaid. Something about this movie just didn't quite click for me. I went and saw it with a group of six people. Of all six, I had the lowest opinion from this movie. And it's not to say the movie was bad in any way. It just, once again, it lacked that it factor for me, which sometimes that happens. Don't get me wrong, Halle Bailey was incredible as Ariel in The Little Mermaid. Um, I thought the music was great. There were some great uh, creative choices within the film. I just, I was left wanting more. I was wanting maybe something a little different, but not everything can be different. I think possibly for me, the Disney live action remake fatigue is setting in, but If you're in any way a fan of the Disney princesses, of Little Mermaid, of these live-action remakes, this is worth seeing on a big screen if solely for the music and the theater environment. 6.8 out of 10. Now, that 6.8 out of 10 may seem really good or really low. To me, that's kind of a perfectly average movie. Um, I just, I wanted more. For some reason, I really wanted more. Um, I really do want to commend Halle Bailey. She was incredible. She brought the character of Ariel to life, truly. Her singing voice is absolutely stunning. Um, Of course, everyone knows The Little Mermaid story when she loses her voice and is with Prince Eric. It's incredible how it's one thing to do in animation uh, for an actress to bring that role to life without being able to talk at all. Her mannerisms were great. I just... I thoroughly enjoyed her. I thoroughly look forward to whatever it is she does next. Um, I She was the perfectly cast Ariel, in my opinion. I, I think all the so-called controversy around her being cast was ridiculous. Uh, put that aside. Go and watch the movie. She is Ariel. She did such a great job. Um, I'm very, looking, very much looking forward to following what she does next in her career. 
the problem with this movie was not her. I think the problem with this movie was really Disney. Uh, they've done so many of these live action remakes. I just I think I had too high expectations of I like the other ones more. And I think the uh, movie going audience seems to agree at least from a financial standpoint. So um, I have four movies I'm going to compare it to. What's really in my eyes the big four remakes that Disney has done with their uh, theatrical releases. That's going to be Beauty and the Beast in 2017, The Lion King in 2019, Aladdin in 2019, and Cruella in 2021. Now, those first three were all pre-pandemic movies. So when you look at their total, it's their box office total, it's going to be a little different. Beauty and the Beast opened at $174 million. Uh, its final gross was $1.2 billion. Lion King opened at $191 million, final gross at $1.6 billion. Uh, Aladdin opened at $91 million, final gross $1.05 billion. Cruella, final one. You have to take Cruella with a grain of salt because I believe that was one of the first post-COVID wide releases. I know that was the first movie I went to see in theaters again. Uh, being able to get tickets and being able to... They had their whole seating arrangement. That only did $21 million in its opening weekend, which was good for COVID, really, when you look at it. Uh, with a worldwide gross of 233 at really the turn of the pandemic, that's incredible. So, But now let's cycle back to The Little Mermaid. Uh, it had a four-day weekend, so that really helped boost its numbers for its opening weekend to $117 million domestically. The problem with it is has been its international opening so far at only $68 million. Um, when you look at the international openings for the first three pre-COVID movies, $211 million for Beauty and the Beast, $273 million for The Lion King, and $106 million for Aladdin... Little Mermaid is not performing well, at least not by Disney standards. And I, I think it's really a matter of, I think it's a twofold problem. One, there's a little bit of fatigue. Disney needs to slow these down. I mean, that's, yes, it's four big ones in six years, but they've also done Lady and the Tramp. They also did Pinocchio. They did Peter and Wendy, a Peter Pan story. Um, they did Mulan. I think there's a couple others I'm missing. They have to slow these down. It's... When the first few were coming out, it was exciting to see Disney. Yes, everyone's going to have a complaint about put something new out. You're just rehashing old stories. But it was exciting to see these stories brought to life in a different way. Especially Beauty and the Beast for me. I loved that. I thought Emma Watson was the perfect Belle. Um, the animation was truly stellar. I, I think Beauty and the Beast may be their best. On the flip side, uh, it's they have the problem of they're just rehashing old stories versus something like Cruella. That was something different. It wasn't the same old 101 Dalmatian story that we all knew. It was Cruella's origin story, so to say. And they mixed in these elements of fashion to it that you never knew with 101 Dalmatians, not to this extent. And they didn't make her this evil person killing dogs. It was just a fun movie about someone, how Cruella became Cruella. Cruella was amazing. I loved it for different reasons than Beauty and the Beast. I loved that it was different, that it brought us something new. The other problem, aside from fatigue from these live-action remakes and just doing the same thing, I think, is Disney's streaming issue. I, I think Disney has been too liberal with releasing their 
especially their Disney movie properties, almost straight to streaming within two to three months. And look at something like the Marvel movies. I think it took Black Panther five or six months to get on Disney+. Plus. It took Ant-Man four months to get on Disney+. Plus. Ant-Man underperformed. But I think a lot of these families don't want to bring their kids to the movies when they know I can go see it in three months in my house without paying out the ass for movie tickets. I mean, I know I saw... So, I like I said, I went with six people. Myself, my fiancé, and our friends, Anastasia and Adam, all have A-lists, so we didn't have to pay for our tickets. As I was booking for a group, I... We had to pay for tickets for my fiance's mom and her little sister, Josie. Two tickets in Dolby cost $45. If you bring that to a family of four, you're looking at 90 bucks just for your movie tickets. And you're looking at another 30 plus dollars on drinks and snacks in this theater. It's over a hundred bucks just to go to a movie as a family is too much. It is really too much. And AMC is experimenting. They are trying out this format where they're not only are they charging more for like a Dolby or IMAX showing now, they're also charging more for what they're calling premium seats. I, I think that's almost pricing people out of some of these movies, especially family movies like this. Disney has another one coming up, old Pixar does, Elemental that is already looking like it's gonna be a financial bomb for Pixar and Disney. I really think they need to change the narrative, they need to stop releasing these movies right away. It started, uh, I remember Cruella specifically was released in theaters, but within a month or two, they started the at-home premium viewing format where you could pay 20 bucks to watch it at home while it was still in theaters. That went away as not many people were paying for it, especially as time went on, and the theaters became bigger again, got more people into them, and People just wait to stream it rather than paying. Now they're just releasing the movies onto streaming quickly. And it's. I think it's... Some people are saying, why am I going to pay to go see this in the movie when I can watch it at home so soon? Not everyone's like me where they have A-list or they feel the need to go watch a movie in theaters. They are comfortable waiting. And it's not only, only Disney. I think the other real uh, perpetuator of this problem is Warner Brothers with HBO. They're releasing movies way too quickly under the streaming services... If they want theaters to thrive again, they need to slow it down, or these massive budgets need to come down. Uh, I mean, $300 million for the Fast movie is absurd. It's absolutely way too big, and I understand when you've had stars in these franchises for 10 plus years, they're going to make a lot of money by the end of it, but it's it's just too much money that you are hamstringing yourself on making a movie financial success. And... It's possible that with these released to streaming, they have internal numbers that are telling them this is actually more profitable for us long-term with our streaming services, but we don't see those numbers, so it's impossible to know. Regardless, going back to Little Mermaid, it's been just about a week. $185 million is not a lot. I don't think it's coming anywhere close to a billion dollars unless somehow it just stays in theaters all summer and people slowly trickle in to see it, but... As I mentioned at the top of the episode, it's a busy summer for movies. Um, actually, I don't think I mentioned it. The season of summer blockbusters has really begun. Uh, Fast X was kind of the first one. Technically, it's not summer yet, but it's essentially summer blockbuster series. You had Fast X, and then you had Little Mermaid back-to-back weekends. 
it'll be interesting to see how Little Mermaid does. I already, I'm personally convinced Fast Tax is going to fall off after this week. Little Mermaid has a chance to have very strong legs and continue earning money for months as families eventually hear about it or eventually make their way out to theaters. I just, it's not coming close to that billion mark. I think worldwide it would be, Disney should count their blessings if it can reach 600 million worldwide. We'll see them. We will see where that goes. Okay. So, as I mentioned, there's a lot of movies coming out. Uh, Season of Summer Blockbusters has begun, and I'm really excited for a bunch of them. I'm going to start with, there's three movies currently out that I'm excited to see that I think there's a chance some of you will be interested in. Uh, First is the Burt Kreischer film, The Machine, based on his iconic stand-up bit. Uh, I went and saw Burt Kreischer when he was in Tampa back in January, February. I think it was February. Um, he showed us a trailer for the movie technically before the trailer was supposed to be out. He was really excited about it. Looks like it'll be a fun movie, a stupid comedy. I'm in for that. There's also the Robert De Niro film about my father, another stupid comedy, which I am excited for. Uh, excited for is a little strong, if I'm being honest. A movie I will see just because... I can, but if I run out of show times or I just don't have enough, have enough time in my life, that'll be the one I drop off without a doubt. Uh, the new A24 release, uh, You Hurt My Feelings, starring Julia Louis Dreyfus. Uh, it's a story about this author, Julia Louis Dreyfus, uh, who overhears her husband's genuine opinion of her most recent novel. I love that A24 constantly. Uh, explores these deeper emotional themes so i'm really excited for that film i have high hopes for it uh critic and audience opinions on it are very split i think i'll lean towards the higher critic side of it but we will definitely see at the end of this week june 2nd comes out uh spider-man across the spider-verse long-awaited sequel to into the spider-verse i have huge expectations for this movie uh everyone is saying it's incredible uh, I think it's our first real contender for a billion dollars this summer. Don't think it'll quite be there as it's the back end of its release is going to have a lot of competition, but I think you're going to see this do a very good business for theaters and for Sony as a studio. I, I can't wait. I may have to be back here on Friday recording an episode after I see it on Thursday as I think this is going to be a great movie. Uh, then uh, next week... Uh, we have Transformers Rise of the Beast. comes out June 9th. Uh, I, it's, Transformers falls into that fast category where I'm not expecting much, but I'm going to go watch a stupid action movie because, honestly, I love stupid action movies. There's something about them that I'm able to shut my brain off and just enjoy it for two hours, whatever it'll be. I don't even think I saw the last two Transformer movies. I might try and watch it, but I don't have a high priority on it. It is what it is. That's just the next two weeks of movies. Uh, there's five movies there that I'm going to make a strong effort to see. There's one more that comes out this week, June 2nd, uh, Past Lives. It looks like a uh, very serious, almost sad, romantic movie. I'll probably go check it out because why wouldn't I? Um, but that brings it up to six movies I want to see in two weeks. I don't even know if I... I actually don't think I can with my current A-list lineup, but I'm going to try to, and I'm going to try to tell you about each and every one of them. 
Now, when you look at the next month and a half from middle of June to end of July, there's, I think it's 16 movies that are on my watch list. There's a lot of good movies coming out. It's going to be a really, really busy summer. Uh, I'm going to start uh, June 16th. uh, Three movies come out that weekend that I'm looking forward to. Uh, We have The Blackening. Um, Just looks like one of those... It's a not a new genre, but a ever-increasing popularity genre of horror comedies similar to Ready or Not or Megan. Looks like it's going to be hilarious. I'm excited to watch that. Uh, also, June 16th, we have The Flash. Uh, hearing reports that this movie's a lot better than most people would expect. One of DC's best releases within the DC Universe, though it may reset the DC Universe um, hard to get invested to a degree because it sounds like Ezra Miller will not return as The Flash. Uh, he's had some very disturbing personal issues that we're not going to delve into, but I actually am hearing good things about The Flash, so I'm keeping my expectations low as I typically do with DC movies, but I'm still slightly excited to see it. One of my most anticipated movies of the uh, year is the new Wes Anderson film. Asteroid City comes out June 16th. I didn't know this would be one of my most anticipated films until in the last couple weeks I've started watching his filmography. I've watched four of his uh, feature films. And that's one of them is one of my all-time favorites. The other two I loved. One was average for me personally. But I don't want to get into those too much because as I'm working my way through his filmography, I'm hoping I can get caught up on all of his feature-length films before Asteroid City and can do a entire episode just on Wes Anderson. Uh, whether that's before Asteroid City or after, and I, include it, and I include it in my rankings, we'll see, but I am very excited to see that movie. Uh, if you have any interest in it, I would suggest watching one of his other movies, maybe Grand Budapest Hotel beforehand, as he has a very unique and distinct style of movie that I think you'd benefit from knowing what that is going into it. One more movie, June 16th, Elemental, the new release from Pixar. I think it looks adorable. I cannot wait for it. I've been hearing not great things about how it's going to do at the box office and that it's just Pixar's really in a slump last few years. So I'm holding out reservations on that. June 23rd has a new comedy movie starring Jennifer Lawrence, No Hard Feelings. Go watch a trailer for that film. It looks hilarious. I think that'll be the big uh, comedy movie this summer. Uh, Another animated movie, June 30th, Ruby Gilman, Teenage Kraken. It looks cute. I don't know if I'll see that in theaters unless uh, my fiance's little sister Josie wants to go. We'll see about that. Um, Also June 30th, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. I think that's going to be a really interesting movie on how it does at the box office. I'm excited as an Indiana Jones fan myself, as a fan of action movies, I will be there to watch it in theaters. I'm not hearing great things, not only about the movie, but also about how it's going to do financially. Um, One thing I didn't realize was still so prevalent in the theater-specific industry is the presence of walk-up moviegoers. I'm on A-list, so I, I'm always going to the same AMC theater, so I'm always on the app booking my movies out ahead of time. But after reading an article about it and now paying attention, I've noticed there are still tons of people who walk up to the counter and buy tickets for a movie on the spot. 
I remember doing that as a kid. You walk up, you look at the board, and you and your family decide what movie you're going to watch that night. You might have some idea, but you have to figure it out for sure. I didn't know that was still a thing. So from what I can tell, Indiana Jones will be heavily relying on that walk-up movie crowd. Uh, it's typically an older movie crowd, and especially something like Indiana Jones, it's going to be reliant on that. But I, I think Disney is going to have a really rough summer financially when... Uh, really a rough year financially when you look at what has come out and what's coming out. I, I just think they're not going to do as well as they would have liked. Uh, another comedy July 7th is Joyride. Um, I think this has potential to be on par with Crazy Rich Asians. Fantastic movie. Watch it if you haven't. Um, Joyride looks hilarious. I'm very excited for that. Uh, that and No Hard Feelings are going to be the two big comedies this summer, I think. From there, you go to what has the potential to be the first, the real potential to be the first billion dollar movie this summer and possibly be the biggest earner for the whole year. Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning, Part 1, out July 12th. I, I think, I mean, Tom Cruise proved last year he can earn big returns at the box office. Top Gun Maverick made over a billion dollars. Uh, stayed in theater for months, was re-released into those premium IMAX and Dolby formats. It's going to be really interesting to see how Mission Impossible does. I think it'll do really well. I think it's just Tom Cruise proved that he can attract big audiences at the theaters. So I'm excited to see if my prediction comes true. I really do believe it'll hit a billion dollars. The one problem it has, though, is that's July 12th. July 21st, features a massive double release of Oppenheimer and Barbie in the same weekend. I, I think both those studios made bold choices to keep not only the release dates once they found out they had massive competition that weekend, but also that Mission Impossible is coming out slightly before. Um, Oppenheimer, the new Christopher, no Christopher Nolan film starring Killian Murphy, Matt Damon, Robert Downey Jr., I mean, Christopher Nolan puts out great films. Look at Inception, look at Interstellar, the Dark Knight franchise, uh, Tenet. It's, I, I, I have massive expectations for that movie. I've been looking forward to it since it was first announced, I think, last year. So I cannot wait for that to come out. And then Barbie, the new Greta Gerwig film starring Margot Robbie as Barbie. Uh, it'll be interesting to see Barbie brought to life. I have almost no expectations for that movie because... I honestly don't know what to expect from it. I've been hearing good things, though. I Word of mouth on both those movies is really good. Um, but I think one of them, unfortunately, is going to be a financial flop, so to say, because there's just so much competition. It's a from the mid-June through the end of July, you just heard all those movies I listed. There's a couple more in there that I chose to skip on that are going to make it really tough for those movies to earn what they probably would earn if they got a week to themselves or two weeks to themselves if it had a better release date. Mission Impossible specifically is really going to put a dent if it performs like Top Gun did. It's going to stay in probably the number two slot even when both those movies come out on their opening weekend, which means one of them has to be three and one of them is going to be a big flop. So I'm going to hold out reservations on that. We'll see, but... It's a great summer of movies coming up. I mean, I think I'm approaching point where I'm going to be seeing two to three movies every week for the next 
month and a half, two months really, because it's just the end of uh, May right now. So all of June and July, I think it'll be almost two movies a week. And I can't wait. I can't wait to talk about them. I've been watching a lot more movies at home. I think my next episode, I'm going to walk you through some movies I've been streaming at home and my recommendations there. Um, If you want to keep up to date and not wait for an episode on what I've been watching, follow me on Letterboxd. Uh, Sidekick Critic, same as everywhere else. That's where I log every movie I watch. Uh, I believe in total I've watched something like over 50 movies this year. I know I missed a few before I started logging them every single time, but I really enjoy it. I'll usually leave a one to two sentence review for a movie. I'll give it, uh, Letterboxd uses a star rating, so I'll give it my rating. Um, That's just a great way to see what movie you want to watch or to see what movie someone else is watching. I highly recommend it. Yeah, uh, like I said, tons of movies coming up. It's a really good time to be a fan of the film industry and a fan of going to movies in theaters. Um, Some massive franchise movies coming up, continuing the trend, but some big non-franchise movies, Oppenheimer, Barbie, Asteroid City, No Hard Feelings, Joyride, Elemental. There's No matter what you're looking for in a movie, there are options there. So I'll be sure to come back here and keep you in tune with everything I see with how the box office is doing. Um, It's been an interesting year for movies so far. I'm looking forward to the second half of this year. Um, As always, follow me on Instagram and TikTok at Sidekick Critic. Subscribe for my episodes on Spotify, the Sidekick Critic podcast, the only place you can currently get full episodes of my podcast. And... I'm your host, Andrew Crosby, and thank you for joining me for the Sidekick Critic Podcast.